0: As the sacrifice of missions and then the reward of missions. And then tonight, I'm going to preach on this subject uh, five sins that eliminate Christians from being involved in missions. Five sins that eliminate Christians from being involved in missions. And talk about some of these things that the devil uses in our lives uh, to uh, keep us from uh, doing what the Lord wants to do in this area. So if you find your place, Matthew chapter 16, stand with me together please. I'm just going to read one verse, uh, Matthew chapter 16, and that is verse 24. The Bible says this, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, and follow me. Yeah, we got something going on there, brother. <laughs> All right, give me just a second here. Yeah, maybe it was some kind of. Uh... There we go. Maybe it was. Maybe it was something to do with my mic. All right, we good now? Let's. All right, I think we're good. Amen. All right, let's try that again. Let's read that text verse. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then said Jesus to his disciples, "If any man will come after me," Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Let's pray. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. Lord, I pray that you bless our service, God. I pray that you would help us. I pray that you'd help our hearts and minds to be drawn uh, toward the truth tonight. And Lord, Holy Spirit, work on us, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to be involved in missions, God. And thank you, Lord, for the privilege it is to partner with you, uh, Lord, to reach people for the cause of Jesus Christ. Lord, I I think about that day when we finally get to heaven. And Lord, we see all those people that if we took the time and, uh, and obedience to your word to Best in how thankful we will be that we did and so help us lord speak to us we pray and we thank you in jesus name amen thank you, you may be seated again five sins that eliminate uh, christians from being involved in missions and you know what truth be told folks you know what uh, keeps us from being what we ought to be as christians that three little words sin amen and i'm looking forward to the day where we don't have to deal with sin anymore and uh batteries all right, okay. All right. I told you there's spiritual warfare going on, folks. And uh, I guess it's going on right now with the technology which Surprise me, right? So there are devils in the in in the the technology. So all right. Anyway, I I do apologize for a little bit of the few interruptions and uh, apologize for um, my uh, trying to uh, sing the songs in the song service and threw us off here a little bit. So anyway, man, maybe I didn't pray enough this week. I don't know, but anyway, all right. Let's get back into this. All right. Uh, When it comes to things that hinder us in the Christian life, I don't care what it is, whether it's missions. uh, uh, whether it's obedience to God, with it's relationships, uh, the thing that keeps us from all that is sin. Amen? And we got to battle it. we got to deal with it. But you know what? I think we ought to identify these things so we'll know what it is we need to as Christians to be aware of. Remember what the Bible says, folks, that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. We ought to know his game plan, right? I can guarantee you uh, uh, when uh, people are involved in, in sporting events and things like that, they study their opponents. They know what to expect so that they then could know how to beat them. Satan's no different, amen? He knows us, he knows our weaknesses, and he knows the thing that will keep us from obeying the Lord. So that being said, if Satan knows it, we ought to know it, amen? So we can know how to combat it. So let's get right into this tonight and look at some of these things. Number one, how about this? The sin of selfishness, Right? Man, by the way, this isn't just a sin that keeps Christians from being involved in missions. This is a sin that keeps Christians from being involved in a lot of things. Amen? The sin of selfishness. Notice our text verse. Notice what Jesus said about, uh, then said Jesus to his disciples, If any man will come after me. Amen? That's talking about being a disciple of Christ. Not necessarily just being saved. We're talking about following Christ's footsteps, being a disciple, being someone that partners with him, so just as He told His disciples to be fishers of men, amen? People that will be involved in turning the world upside down, doing a spiritual work for God, amen? We're talking about taking it to the next level as a Christian. Talking about dedication, talking about discipleship. You know what it's going to take? If any man will come after me, let him, we don't like this word, deny. Deny who? Himself, amen? Let, 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 let him deny himself, And the first requirement to becoming a a, a disciple of Christ is the demand that we be willing to deny ourselves. That word deny, if you look it up in the Greek, it doesn't just mean to deny, it means to deny utterly. Amen? Deny utterly. We are to wholeheartedly follow Christ. And if we're going to do that, folks, you know what we must do? We must uh, not be in love with ourselves, but we must literally die to sin self every single day. Now that's hard, that's difficult, because I don't know about you, but but self likes to win in my life, right? Self likes to have its way in my life, and I'm going to tell you, it's a constant daily battle to fight against selfishness. The Bible in 2 Timothy chapter 3 list for us uh, some of the uh, last date sins. And when you read that list, let me tell you what's on the top of the list, right? For men shall be lovers of their own selves. I'm going to tell you, folks, if there's ever a generation that's been in love with itself, it's this one we're living in. Amen? There's no doubt we are what I believe the rapture generation. We're living the last of last days. Why? Just look what the Bible has to say, particularly when it comes to the sins of the last days. These sins are Prevalent, Amen? And men shall be lovers of their own selves. And I'm going to tell you, folks, we're living in that day and age. And sad to say, uh, we expect those types of things uh, from the world, but you know what's sad when that bleeds over to the church of Jesus Christ? Amen. When it bleeds over into Christians' lives. And you know what? We're just as selfish sometimes as the world is. And I'm going to tell you, if we're going to be involved in missions, if we're going to uh, be involved, as we'll talk about, Lord willing, here in a couple of weeks when I preach out the last Sunday of the month, but when we talk about sending our own, amen? You know what it's going to take? So, uh, uh, not being selfish. When it talks about giving of our monetary things to support missions, you know what it's going to take? It's going to take not being selfish. And let me tell you, folks, our, our motto ought to be what Christ's motto was when he prayed, not my will, but thine be done. Again, he was Jesus. He was the Son of God. But you know, he understood something, that uh, the will of God trumped everything, even in his own life. Not that Christ was trying to sin by any means, but He understood what the cross was going to be. It was going to be Him becoming sin for us. And He understood that. And Christ, all rightly so, did not want that relationship severed from the Father. Amen? By the way, think about this, it's the only person who's ever been who uh, willfully chose uh, uh, to, the fact that the Father would separate from. I mean, come on, think about that for a minute. You know, God doesn't want us separated from Him. In fact, just the opposite. But Jesus' will, His plan in order to become uh, our, our payment for sin, had to be separated from the Father. The Father had to sever the tie with the Son so that He could become sin for us. Think about that. That will never be said of us, Amen. The Father will never turn His back on us, amen? But He did for Jesus. You know why? Because it was the will that Jesus had to pay for us. And so if Jesus was willing to pray, not my will but thine be done, don't you think we could uh, confess our sin of selfishness, amen, and not let it keep us from being involved in missions? I'm just saying this, and I talked a little bit about this Thursday night, but if you're going to obey God to the fullest, it is going to require some sacrifice, folks. It's going to require some sacrifice, All right. I mean, listen, you're not going to be able to do everything you may in the flesh want to do if you're also going to follow Jesus Christ to the whole and if you're going to be involved in missions. You're just not, okay? I mean, you know what? Missionaries that go, you talk to them, and I'm sure missionaries that come through here will tell you that, you know what? Maybe they had other plans for their lives. Maybe if they they were set in a certain direction until God came down and called them, and you know what? I, they're thankful they did it, but they still had to sacrifice what they wanted for what God wanted. Amen? And I'm going to tell you right now, if we're going to uh, continue to give to missions and support missions, it's going to require sacrifice. It, listen, folks, reality. All right? I don't take talk about this often, but the Bible talks about it. I'm not afraid to uh, talk and preach about it. But it does take money to have a missions program. There, the preacher said the dreaded M word, right? Okay? All right? No, it takes money. Listen, we support those missionaries right now, uh, 22 missionaries. We support them at $100 a month. That means this, $2,200 a month uh, will go from our budget to uh, as far as or, uh, redirected, if you will, the giving toward the missions. Now, we have a separate giving category for that. We have folks that pledge on a monthly basis to give to missions. And I'm going to say this, if we're going to continue that and if we're going to increase that, you know, it's going to take a little bit of sacrifice, Amen. All right, but listen, that's part of it in the Christian life because Jesus did not call us to be selfish. He called us to be selfless. Amen. I'm going to tell you if you're consumed with self and you're just a selfish person and and you're a selfish Christian, listen, you're not going to have much to do with this thing of missions. So, number one, the sin of selfishness. How about this? Number two, the sin of softness. The sin of softness. Again, back to our text verse, Matthew 16, verse 24. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, look at this next phrase, we really don't like this one, and take up his cross. Think about that, take up his cross. You know, taking up our cross is not attractive to a generation who has seldom been required to do anything difficult. Let me tell you what we're living in, folks. We're living in a generation where uh, the, the generation coming up, and sad to say, even the, uh, uh, the generation that would be the, 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 the adult generation, you know what? They've never, uh, or, or seldom at least, been required to do much of anything. They're spoiled. They're soft. And if it don't pad their pockets or, or help them in some way, they don't want to have no part of it. Amen? And again, listen, the world's the world, but what's sad is, is that that philosophy bleeds over to the church of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, folks. Following God is not for wimps. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ isn't something that's easy, right? What's history tell us about Jesus' twelve apostles and uh, uh, the faith that they faced? all 12 of them except of course for John John did die of a natural death but they tried to martyr him all 12 of them died a martyr's death and you read history you read our our four, five. our history was paved in blood the price that was paid you know why because they would deny or die we'll choose death amen i mean i, I mean I, I don't even know if 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 too many Christians would choose that in the day and age we're living in you know, they're more concerned about you know, their hip-hop pastor in his skinny jeans and, and uh, their, their coffee shops and in the foyer and all that other garbage going on. Let me tell you something, folks. That's not New Testament Christianity. Amen? You know, we've we got to uh, figure out this thing and uh, not just be soft. But you know what we've got to be? We've got to endure what? Hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Listen, God's looking for Christians who are not afraid of a challenge. Amen. A challenge. Listen, folks, it takes physical, mental, emotional, and spirit strength, spiritual strength uh, to be involved in missions, particularly those that live on a mission field. I mean, again, I, I got to be careful because we're live streaming. But there's a particular missionary back there that I can't really mention because they asked us not to put their name out on the internet. But but read that letter back there, and it's, it's the missionary's uh, letter that starts with the G that's in the country of E. All right, that's all I can say about it. But read that. You know what you find out about those missionaries? Man, they are. Listen, folks, where they're at, nobody, no American would choose to live. Just just you know, just to live there. I mean, it, it's difficult. It's hard. But you know what? They, 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 they've stuck it out. They're continuing uh, uh, going on uh, years, not just a few years, but uh, at least over a decade, possibly longer, serving in that place. And they're starting to see some results. You know why? Because they've endured hardness. They're not soft. Amen? I'm going to tell you, folks, softness is killing a missions work in the local New Testament church. The great missionary of Vance Harver, here's what he said. Said that, uh, or the story says that some missionaries that were bound for Africa were laughed at by the boat captain. The boat captain said, You'll die over there, he said. But here's what Vance Harver said Captain, we died before we started. Think about that. We died before we started. You know what that meant? They died to self before they started. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. Paul, the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest missionaries, here's what he said Yea, and if I be offered. Upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Think about that. Offered upon the sacrifice and service. He's talking about himself. His life. His life offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Notice, I I joy and rejoice with you all. You know what that's called? Spiritual toughness right there. Because Paul understood something. You know what? If he was going to go on for Jesus Christ, he couldn't uh, be soft about it. And he couldn't give in to what his flesh wanted. And again, you read the life of Paul. Paul was a man just like you and I are. He suffered the, or he felt the same things that we feel as far as the feelings and the things that as human beings we all deal with. But yet, you know what he understood? There was something greater we're striving for than just his comfort in life. Amen? And so we must not fall for the sin of softness. And you know, in the book of Revelation there, uh, we uh, uh, read about the churches there in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 and uh, the, uh, the seven churches that Jesus authored letters to and sent them to the pastor of the church and had him read the letter to the church. What Jesus thought about His church, I've often thought this, if Jesus Christ authored a letter to White River Baptist Church, what would it say? What would it say? What would it say about this local New Testament assembly right here in Princeton, Indiana? By the way, he thinks something about it. All right, He's got an opinion about it, I can tell you that. Is it an opinion that pleases Him? Or could we read through those letters and see some of the negative things He said to those churches? But of course, the, the ultimate insult was the last church, the church of Laodicea. And by the way, that, those churches represent not just seven local churches, but they also represent seven ages of church history. And I'm going to tell you, folks, we're living in the, in the Laodicean age of quote-unquote of quote, Christianity. Amen? And you know what Jesus' complaint was about that church? He says that they were neither cold nor hot. By the way, what's it mean not to be cold nor hot? It's correct. Or you know what we'd call it? Comfortable. Yeah. Right? I mean, come on. It's pretty comfortable in here. All right? I don't think y'all are cold. you cold all cold in here tonight? Some of you are, all right? See y'all bundled up, right? Uh, yeah, I know. I got cold hands, all right? Everybody's been telling me that all day. Oh, your hands are so cold, preacher, right? But uh, no, no. It's not cold. But you know what? We're really not sweating in here. We're pretty comfortable, aren't we? You know what? Also, we could call that lukewarm, and that's okay if you're sitting in a building listening to preaching, or you know, we all want to have you know climate control, or we all want to be comfortable as far as our the physical temperature. But let me say this: we can't afford to be comfortable when it comes to our spiritual temperature. You know why? Because you know what comfortable Christianity makes Jesus Christ want to do? I will spew thee out of my mouth. Jesus said, "I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm. I want you hot." But if you're going to be one, I'd rather you be cold than this lukewarm, make me want to puke Christianity. I'm afraid, sad to say, that when Christ sees a lot of, quote, quote, Christianity of the day, that's what he sees. You know why? Because of the sin of softness. How about this? Number three, the sin of rebellion. The sin of rebellion. Notice what it says here, back to our text, Matthew 16, verse 24. And said, Jesus, to his disciples... If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Selfishness. Selflessness. Take up his cross. That's that's hardness. That's not softness. Notice what else he says. And follow me. Follow me. Alright? Now, you know what that's talking about? That's talking about what we preached about last Sunday night. God calling. God leading. And you know what we must do then as Christians, if we're going to be involved in that? We must choose to follow. By the way, not everybody that God has called has followed. I'm thinking of a great biblical illustration of that. And that was the whiny prophet Jonah. And here's what it says about Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. That was God's calling on Jonah's life. But, uh-oh, uh-oh, Anytime you see a word starting with that, you know there's going to be problems. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of is Isn't that interesting? When Jonah started running from God, you know what direction he went? Down, down, down. Until finally God said, you think you went low, son? You have no idea how low you've gone. I'll take you even lower than you thought you could go. Literally took him to the bottom of the earth, just about as low as you could go. To the bottom of the sea, and you know what? I mean, think about it. what a silly notion Jonah had—the idea that a person could flee from the presence of the Lord. By the way, you know what that? You know what that means? Rebellion makes you stupid. You start rebelling against God, you'll start thinking stupid, acting stupid as a Christian, and doing stupid things. He was rib- All he could see, uh, all of all his forefront of his mind was, I don't want to do what God's called me to do. I want to do what I want to do. And start making bad, poor, horrible choices. Amen? Let me say this, folks. There is a price for running from God's will. There's a price to be paid. Again, what waited what uh, Jonah? I mean, the story reveals to us that all he found were storms, troubled seas, and a hungry well. You know why? Because he ran from the call of God. He was rebellious against God. Folks, let me say this. God's way is always the way of obedience. Satan's way is always the way of rebellion. He was the original rebel. And by the way, has paid and will pay a high price for that. And everybody, you know, again, I'm not underestimating the, the power of the devil and who he is and what he does. I'm not underestimating that. But too, you know, he, he, he's way overrated. Let me just say that. You know who he really is? An unemployed archangel is all he is. Okay? And by the way, yes, God has allowed Satan for for a short period of time to do what he does. But think about this, folks. You know what? Compared to eternity, even Satan and his little time of whatever he's doing, isn't nothing compared to eternity. He's losing, amen? I mean, he is going to be tormented in the lake of fire forever and ever. You know why? Because he was a rebel, that's why. Let me just say this, folks, rebellion never pays. Listen, just be obedient to God. Just be obedient to God. I'm reading right now through my Bible, the book of uh, Numbers, and I'm following the the Bible reading plan. I may be a little ahead of of what everybody else is doing, but man, you know what you find as you read through those Old Testament books, particularly the law, when it gives us the history of the nation of Israel? Man, you talk about a rebellious people. And by the way, they paid dearly for it, right? I mean, I just read where they rebelled against God about going into Canaan. And you know what? Because of that, the, all those adults, I believe from 20 years old and upward, all had to die out in the wilderness, rebellion. Then they got out in the wilderness. You'd think they would have learned, but didn't. it was one rebellion uh, against God after another. And then, sad to say, even Moses got caught up in it. The meekest man, of one of the greatest prophets in all the Old Testament got caught up in rebellion and had to pay a dear price for it. Just read it this morning. God said, speak to the rock. What did Moses do? By the way, it was interesting. Right before Moses rebelled, he called the people out about rebellion. Ye rebels, why haven't you obeyed God? Slap, slap. You know what God said to Moses? Ye rebel, why didn't you obey me? And the same thing he was calling out the people for is what he did. I don't think Moses was, per se, rebellious at heart, but he still had a moment. By the way, you know what that teaches us? It may not seem like that big of a deal, but one decision can have huge impact. One decision. One decision of rebellion. Here's what God thinks about rebellion, by the way. 1 Samuel 15, 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and adultery. Oh, my kids are just going through that rebellious phase. Oh, so you're telling me your kids play with uh, Ouija boards and and summon evil spirits and and, uh, worship the head of a goat? That's really, truth be told, in God's eyes what rebellion is. So we as parents need to stop making excuses when our kids are rebellious. And you know what? Pray to God and use biblical discipline to get rebellion out of their life. Now, I understand kids struggle. I get all that, folks. Okay? I got well, I guess I still got four teenagers in my house. Alright, almost to be three, all right. But uh I'm raising teenagers. I know how it is. I was a teenager once, all right. I know you don't think that, but I was, alright. I'm not that old, right? Listen, come on, folks, I get it, kids struggle, and I'm not downplaying the struggle kids go through. But that's why God's giving them parents. That's why we as parents gotta be on our A game, amen. And, and love our children and teach our children. And yes, discipline them. Amen? Because think about this. If they're rebellious to us, guess, guess, guess what that rebellion's going to be transferred to one of these days? God. By the way, you can't teach selective rebellion. You know, uh, when I was t- a principal of the Christian school, uh, you know, I had some kids sometimes dealing with stuff, just like you always do with kids, just dealing with problems. And, and here's what I found out, though. No matter what kind of problem I had with the kid, if the parents were on board with me, we could usually fix the problem with the kid. But you know what? I you know, a lot of times I found, and not a lot of times, not really a lot of times, but a handful of times, you know what I found out? The parents who, uh, instead of, uh, you know, understanding that their, you know, children were sinners. Okay, by the way, reality check. Our kids are sinners. I said are. Not yours. (laughs) Yours, mine, all of us, right? Okay? Those cute little sinners that come out of the womb, because that's exactly what they are. Okay? But instead of understanding their kids were sinners and understanding, yeah, you know what? My kids are doing some wrong things. What do we got to do to get it fixed? Oh, no. All of a sudden, let's turn against the authority. You know, how, how dare you say that about my kid in a Christian school? Oh, yeah, even in Christian school, how to deal with that kind of stuff. By the way, you know what I found out? The parents who sided with their kids, you know what they ended up doing in the long run? Losing their kids. They did. They lost them. There's not one family that I didn't deal with in that area who had rebellious kids that turned on the authority that their kids turned out good. Never happened. By the way, not only did their kids just not turn out good, and again, folks, I'm not, I'm not saying this to be mean, it's reality, okay? They went the other direction. I mean, way the other direction. Because you know why, folks? Rebellion never pays, that's why. And it is a big deal when our kids don't obey us. It is a big deal when they have rebellious, snarky attitudes toward authority. And we as parents need to not make excuses for that, but deal with it, amen? Amen. Because I'm going to tell you, you can't teach selective rebellion. All right? They're not going to be rebellious against other authority figures and then not turn that rebellion on you and eventually turn that on God. Amen? And so listen to me. Rebellion will keep us from being involved in missions. God says He wants us to be involved. God calls for for us all to go, no matter where it is we go. Some of us will go to our local areas and and, uh, stay in our local areas. Some God may call to send to a foreign mission field. But listen, we need to obey the Lord and do whatever He tells for us to do. Number four, what's another sin that keeps Christians from being involved in missions? How about this? The sin of, again, we don't like it, but it's true, materialism. I mentioned that the other day, or maybe this morning or Thursday. I don't know. Sometime I mentioned it, amen. The sin of materialism. Luke chapter 18. Take your Bible. Flip over there. Luke chapter 18. Talking to the the rich ruler that came to Christ. And this a ruler came to Christ and was uh, asking him about what do I have to do to inherit eternal life. And by the way, Jesus here, you've got to understand the context. That's why you've got to study the scripture in context. Jesus wasn't telling him he was saved by his works, okay? But Jesus knew his heart. He knew what was keeping him from truly believing on Christ. And Jesus had the advantage we don't. Amen? He could read the heart, okay? Notice what it says here. Now, when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, uh, Luke 18, verse 22, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, distribute it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. By the way, again, Jesus didn't say uh, you'll have eternal life. He said treasure in heaven, okay? Again, it's not teaching a works-based salvation. And come and follow me. And when he, the rich young ruler, heard this, he was very sorrowful. Why? For he was very rich. Very rich. And and, and truth be told, folks, you know, probably uh, uh, one of the things that keeps Christians from being involved in missions is the sin of materialism, the sin of, you know what, being so obsessed with stuff that that's all we care about in this life. By the way, anything that we have that's physical, okay, whether it's our homes whether it's uh, our vehicles, you know, money per se, whatever. Anything physical, okay, that's, here, that's tangible, that you can touch, that what we would be considered our possessions, okay? You, know, you realize they're all going to burn up one of these days anyway? You realize that? They're all going to burn, okay? I mean, the Lord calls us out of here in the rapture. None of that's going with us, okay? Here's what Pastor Ross used to say, all right? Give your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Right? You know what he's talking about? Laying up treasure in heaven. Amen? Now, we can take the material things God gives us if we invest them in eternity, and guess what we can do? Lay up treasure in heaven. Amen? But the things of this life... Now, listen, folks. I, I, again, I always want to say this because I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong to have things. By the way, God has blessed me with a lot of nice things. But you know what? They're God's. They're not mine. Okay, And you know what? We can't get obsessed with things of this life and keep, uh, allow things to keep us from doing what God would want us to do, serving God. Amen? And you know what? Yes, truth be told, uh, as Americans, folks, listen to me, the way most of the world lives, you know what we're considered, truth be told? Very rich. We are very rich compared to most of the world. Right, and you know what? Sometimes it's hard for people to give up those things, the material things, to lay them aside, to go to some place where maybe they won't have those things anymore. But folks, listen to me again. Uh, God's not—it's uh, not maybe His will for all of us to, uh, or most of us, even truth be told, is to sell our stuff and move to a foreign country. But if he, that would be His will, we ought to be willing to do it. Amen. But you know what? Still, though, as I mentioned before, it takes finances. It takes resources to send these missionaries. And you know what? We're going to have to sacrifice somewhere. We're going to have to redirect somewhere so that we can make sure we involve ourselves in missions. And that may require not having as much stuff of this life. By the way, we all have too much stuff anyway, right? I mean, you know, here's what people say to me. I'm working in people's houses all the time, move a lot of furniture for people when I'm doing flooring for them. And you know what most people say to me? Man, we have too much stuff. People say that to me all the time. And if we were honest, we could say the same thing, right? And so, folks, listen. What's the harm if we not do do with that a little bit so we can be involved in missions? Amen. Jesus said, Matthew chapter eight, verse twenty. The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. That's, that, that's how Jesus lived when he was here. Now, you know what? He doesn't necessarily call for most people to live that way nowadays. All right, He's blessed us with a nice home. We all live in, in, in nice places. We all had a warm bed to sleep in last night. Amen? So we're not even paying as high of a price as Jesus Christ paid when he was here. And truth be told, probably wouldn't expect us to pay as high of a price in that area. So listen to me, folks. If, if we have to do with a, uh, without some so we can give to missions, why would we not want to do that? Amen? So the sin of materialism. And then last of all, let me give you this last one here. We said, first of all, number one, the sin of selfishness. Number two, the sin of softness. Number three, the sin of rebellion. Number four, the sin of materialism. And we'll end with this one, the sin of prejudice. The sin of prejudice. Take your Bibles. I want you to go to this passage. We've talked about it before, but I want you to see it. John chapter 4. John chapter four. four. In fact, if you know your Bible, and I say John chapter four, you think of a particular story, and that's the story of the woman at the well. And we see here um, uh, uh, a, a, an illustration of prejudice, even with amongst Jesus and his disciples. All right, not not Jesus himself, but his disciples. We see this in John chapter four, and uh, we uh, let's pick it up in verse four. The Bible says this. Um, now, Jacob's well was there talking about Samaria. Oh, man, Samaria. That was not a good word for the Jews. They did not like that word because they didn't like the people there. Okay, the Samaritans. Ooh, the Samaritan. I mean, it was, it was taboo to the Jews. And by the way, the Samaritans felt the same way about the Jews. There was extreme prejudice there because the Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile. And according to the Jews, they were unclean. Right? I mean, they they really uh, didn't, uh, uh, the Jews did not have a high opinion of the Samaritans. The Samaritans didn't have a high opinion of the Jews. So Jesus is on his journeys with his disciples, and it says that Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And by the way, if you back it up to verse 4, I think I I was reading out of verse 6. Verse 4, here's what Jesus said to his disciples, we must needs go through Samaria so Jesus said, okay, guys, uh, we're, we're, we're diverting a little bit, and we're going to Samaria. And as soon as he said that, I guarantee the disciples looked at each other. Samaria? Uh, you sure, uh, Jesus, uh, that's the way we're going to go? Now, you know what? If Jesus says we're going there, that's where we're going, and that's where they went. So, what happens? They came, and uh, Jesus comes to the well, and then, of course, the story tells us, as we read through there, that he sent his disciples uh, into the city uh, to buy uh, substance, to buy food for them. And, of course, then the woman of the well came. And uh, uh, let's read a little bit about that. Let's see here, uh, beginning in verse 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it? Now, again, notice here the prejudice in this verse. Note he says this, How is it that thou, being a Jew, thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of, Samarita, uh, of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? Hey, you know what that's called? Extreme prejudice. That's exactly what that's called. All right? And, of course, we know the story. Jesus talked to her about uh, living water, led this woman to Christ, and then she went on and uh, uh, began to tell the city. And, by the way, they spent some time there reaching some people. Amen? Now, you know what? That teaches us, folks, several lessons, but here's what we're focusing in on. All right? If we're going to be involved in reaching people, we've got to get beyond this thing of Prejudice. Now, I mentioned a little bit about this this morning, but you know what, folks? It's true. Amen? And uh, you know what? Uh, God doesn't just love Americans. He loves the world. Okay? And, you know, and I know sometimes as American Christians, we interpret the Bible through the lens of America. We really do. We think the world revolves around us uh, as, as a country, as America. But let me just say this, folks. If anything, God's view isn't, doesn't really revolve around America. It revolves really around Israel. And God's kind of, you know, you know, set them on the shelf for a little bit for the time and age we're living in. and you know But, but God's dealings really, his, his prophetic time clock and uh, most of the Bible centers around the nation of Israel, not America. Sorry, America. It's hard for us to hear, but it's true. Right? We think we're the center of God's universe because of the blessings of God upon this country. But truth be told, the reason God's blessed this country so much true, really has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with our forefathers and how they founded this country. And because God blesses Bible principles and bless what our country was founded upon, those blessings are just trickling down to us. That's, that, that, let's be honest, that's really what it's about. Because this generation is doing nothing to deserve God's blessing as a country as a whole. And the only reason really God hasn't wiped us off the map yet, I believe two things. Number one, there's still some salt and light. And number two, the way for the most part this country stood for God's chosen people Israel, but that looks like going by the wayside pretty quick. And so all that to say, folks, listen to me, right? We as Americans uh, need to lose this thing of prejudice, right? Now, what's sad is, is that this thing of prejudice no longer just, you know, is from collar to collar, it seems like. I mean, you know, you, know, you, you can be prejudiced. And when we think of prejudice, okay, come on, let's be on. We all think race. That's what most of us think. You know there's other ways to be prejudiced besides race? You know you can be prejudiced against people who have less than you? By the way, you can be prejudiced against people that have more than you. I mean, prejudice really is just a, a, a preconceived notion about a person based upon, you know, the race, color, whatever, uh, social status, okay? And we, need, as I mentioned this morning, need to start viewing people the way God views people, okay? Jesus loves the world. He died for the world, amen? And yes, God has put His blessings upon us as Americans, but that doesn't mean He loves us more than He loves other people, and and truth be told the whole idea behind missions is the fact that because G- God died or, or God sent Jesus to die for the world everybody's worthy of the gospel. And that's why we need to get the gospel out. Amen. And lose this idea of prejudice. Folks, listen, there's no one who doesn't deserve to hear the gospel. No one. Now, we can't choose how people react to the gospel. But listen, we can't just have these preconceived, well, I'm not going to give the gospel to them because and, and start rattling off these reasons. But truth be told, if you want to be honest, are usually prejudice reasons. Okay? Listen, everyone deserves to hear the gospel. And if we had this idea of prejudice, you know what? That will bleed down into even uh, the, the, our ability to witness to people. Even our ability to try to win them to Jesus Christ. I mean, come on, think about it. Is there a person that you would not be willing to hand a tr- track to based upon, you know, whatever physical factor there is that's about them? I mean, let's be honest. Now, we're not saying a lot out loud, but if we would examine our hearts, there's probably some prejudice, a little bit of prejudice in all of us. You know, because, you know, we're kind of getting sucked into the culture a little bit. But folks, listen to me. We've we got to start viewing people the way God views people. And you know how God views them? He doesn't view them per as, se as, as, as what they look like on the outside. He views the fact that they have an eternal soul. And let me tell you, that eternal soul is going to spin an eternity somewhere. And it doesn't really necessarily matter, per se, what's on the outside as opposed to what's on the inside. Again, I've been telling you about some different preachers I've been listening to. And I've been listening to this one particular preacher. And uh, this guy, I'm going to tell you, he's got a really amazing testimony. But this guy was involved in just about any form of sin and debauchery you could be involved in. I mean, this guy was a Satanist. He wasn't just a saintist. He was a high priest in the Church of Satan. He was involved in, 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 in Wiccan. He was involved in Masonry. He was even involved in the Mormon Church. Uh, he was a Catholic priest. I mean, he, he was anything debauchery that you could think of, this guy was involved in. And you know what? He got saved. And you know why he got saved? Here's his testimony. He was writing a check to, to pay his dues to the Church of Satan. Okay? By the way, that's a real thing, by the way. Okay? I mean, it, 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 listen, folks. We, I know we live in the southern Indiana small-town bubble. Okay? But I'm going to tell you, it's a big, wicked, nasty world out there. There is wickedness beyond wickedness. And I'm glad for some extent. I mean, that's kind of why we choose to live in a small town, right? So we can be isolated from some of that. But, but don't think for one second it's not real and stuff's not going on, because it is, okay? But he was writing his dues to the church of Satan, sent the check. You know, those were, uh, remember the days, I don't know if, it, I'm sure some of you remember, where you used to get your checks back in the mail, right? After they cleared the bank, they'd send them back to you as a receipt. He got a check back from the bank that, where he sent his dues to the church of Satan, and on the check, someone had written, and he assumes it's a bank teller, he doesn't know, that says, Jesus loves you, I'll be praying for you. And as soon as he got that, some of the, here, here's his test, some of the satanic power he had because he was involved in some pretty deep, dark stuff where he had some deep, dark spiritual power, he lost it immediately. And he, God started driving him to the truth and eventually, you know what? He got saved. And now he goes around trying to help people involved that was involved in this stuff. I mean, here's a guy who literally was a satanist. In fact, his, his story says... He tells a story of where he remembers the night he literally sold his soul to Satan, signed a blood contract in his own blood, selling his soul to Satan. Now, most people, if you'd say that, you'd say, oh, they sold their their soul. There's no way they can be saved. No. The power, uh, the blood of Jesus Christ is more powerful than any of that stuff. Amen? Amen? Saved him, and now he's preaching the gospel, reaching many people. has helped many, many people. In the last 30-plus years, he's been saved. So all that to say, listen, folks, that God can save anybody, right? And we need to, again, stop viewing people from the outside. And I know sometimes, folks, it's difficult, right? I mean, there's some people you look at and you say, oh, God, please give me boldness to witness to them. But you just never know. In fact, here's what I found out. Sometimes the roughest, hardest-looking people are more open to the gospel than some of the people that, you know, just on the surface feel like oh, maybe they would be open to it. I mean, so you just don't know what God's doing. So all that to say, listen, let's get the gospel to anybody and everybody. Amen? And let's not be involved in these sins that would keep us from being involved in missions. Let's pray. Lord, we love you.